0: Your Gold is live and on the air for this Thursday night, May 19th, 2011. Welcome to a show that covers sports, life, and everything between. My name is Joe, under the weather for tonight only, Buccino, and as always, the co-founder and president of the Pete Ross Fan Club, who just finished saying his 25,000th, woo!
1: My tag team partner, and
0: co-host, David
1: Gomez, a.k.a. DG, AKA. Let's get this show on the road, sir. Give me another woo. Woo! (laughs)
0: 25,001.
1: How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I just finished watching the final moments of Smallville yet again. And I have to admit, sir, I'm pumped.
0: (laughs) You watched it on your DVR or watched it on the CW?
1: No, I actually watched it on the CW. And then when I I realized that the time was advancing, I ended up going to the DVR. And watching it, sir.
0: Wow, you are the master of improv, let me tell you. Um, uh, so we we still got the poll question up, so why don't we give out some contact information
1: and the poll question of the week. Folks, if you'd like to be a part of the show, which of course you need to be, you have to be, you must be, or else you can, you know what, 714-364-4721, our website, com, and of course, you can find everything on our Twitter, Facebook, and all that other stuff, the good stuff on there, and the poll question of the week this week is: What grade would you give the Smallville series finale? A, B, C, D, or F? Right now, A is winning. B is close, pulling up the rear. <coughs> but of course, folks, you vote. You let us know what you thought, JB.
0: Thank you, DG. Now, before we get underway with our show, I just, DG, I just want to. Uh... Let you know that, you know, we ended an error last week with the end of, you know, Smallville and just recently, um, Oprah Winfrey, our fellow colleague, Oprah Winfrey ended her last episode <laughs> ever, twenty five years, you know, in the making, started at in nineteen eighty six, the year that the Mets won the World Series, ironically enough. So with that we had the end of Smallville and also the end of Oprah Winfrey as we know it. And finally we had also mm-hmm. That was for our good friend, or actually not so good friend, Harold Camping, wherever you are and whatever you're doing right about now, counting down the hours for your self-proclaimed end of the world. That was a little knock on him, DG.
1: That was good stuff. Good stuff. As always, you bring it. You sing it and you bring it there.
0: You said just a little low on on my part, was it?
1: Oh, the audio was a little bit low, but it's all right. I, I forgive you. You know Fitz; he's pretty much on his way out the door, and he never gets anything right. So, aside from that, sir, definitely a good clip that you uh, you had him play there.
0: All right, sir. So let me uh, ask you a question before we, uh, as we get into this uh, first topic. What, when you think of four and seven, what do you think of?
1: Four and seven? Yeah. Um, I think of Tom Glavin, number forty-seven, the greatest <laughs> left-handed pitcher of all time.
0: Yeah. Is that what you really think of?
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I'm don't. i clueless, sir. I've got small on the brain, so I don't know anything about four and seven. What, what are you talking about here, sir?
0: Well, heading into this weekend, folks, we have the four train being the seven train.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's that time makes for the
0: sense. Yep, it's time for the subway series. And ironically enough, the four plus seven equals 11, and we are in 2011. So <laughs> maybe Harold Camping has a little bit to, uh, you know, He has a little bit of beef with us because I know that he thinks it's over. But, you know, with the Mets and Yankees playing this weekend, you know that the world is definitely not coming to an end.
1: Of course not. I mean, that would be an absolute disgrace, sir. That would be – I mean, if it didn't come to an end during the Subway Series, it's not going to come to an end during another Mets-Yankees game. You're right. The actual Subway World Series, sir.
0: Right. Let me ask you, as we get into our Mets and Yankees talk for this segment of Pure Gold, let me ask you – What do you think the Mets did last night that they haven't done all year until today again? Won a game? Uh, No. Believe it or not, last night was the first time the Mets actually shut out a baseball team this whole season so far.
1: Oh, wow, and they did it again today. That is amazing, sir.
0: Yeah, I mean, 18 innings (laughs) of, you know, no runs allowed. I mean, that's pretty impressive, even though they did play the Nets, but usually (laughs) the Nets give them some trouble. So it was a good job by the Mets heading into the subway series. But you know, I think before we even get into the Subway Series DG, how about the fact okay. that this team this you know, this team continues to be what I say jinxed? How about our good friend, our third baseman now on the DL, David Wright? What did you think when you heard about it?
1: Uh, I I remember looking at uh Facebook as a matter of fact that night, and Lori Rubinson said something to the effect of, actually I'm sorry, this is this is the week before Seventy-three. The fact that Mike Davis goes on the DL, I believe, it's a Mets or curse. And then look now, David Wright is also on the table list. It just, you know, it's it's part for the course with the New York Mets. Somebody's always on the DL. Somebody's always injured. Somebody's always letting us down. I mean, it, it's crazy when you look at the team, when you look at the Mets as a whole, and you know they're at five hundred. They're playing good baseball right now, going into the series on on, uh, on the weekend with the with the Skanks. But the fact is that you're looking at the walking wounded, you know, you're looking at a team that everybody on the planet is injured. I mean, if it wasn't for Justin Turner, who, you know, how good is how good has that kid been? I mean, he's going to be the next Chico Walker. He's going to be the next Keith Miller. He's going to be the next Bill Pakoda, dare I say it, because the Mets fans are going to fall in love with him like they fell in love with Butch Husky and Jay Payton and every other slob who's ever put on a Mets uniform who's not all that good. Now, I'm not saying Turner isn't going to be good, but, I mean, this guy kind of came out of nowhere, so I'm I'm a little skeptical in terms of what he's going to bring to the table. But the fact is that the Mets have these no-name guys contributing to their wins, and it's refreshing. I don't want to get ahead of myself, Joe. I don't want to say, all the Mets are going to do anything. I don't even want to say that the Mets are going to, you know, have a winning record this year. But the fact is that we have to kind of take it in uh, bite-sized portions and say, you know what, the Mets are playing good. Let's enjoy that while it lasts, sir.
0: Yep, I totally agree with you. It's it is refreshing to see that, you know, the Mets have to pretty much call up the entire farm system nowadays to you know put a product on the field on the major league field because of all the different injuries that they've had, which is you know ridiculous. And for some reason, I don't know why. And I we talked about it uh, not on the show, but I had thought that David Wright was going to go on the DL a couple weeks ago. And you're like, no, he's not going to go on the DL, or he's not on the DL. And then like, I guess I jinxed it because now he actually is on the DL with what they're, they're calling like a stress fracture of the back. I mean, that to me, I don't know how if it sounds serious or not so serious, but either way, I mean, David Wright is not a guy that spends any time on the DL. For him to now to be on the DL, it's definitely a concern, and hopefully with this rest, and hopefully they don't rush him back because there's no, retur- there's no need to really rush David Wright back with a season that is, you know, not lost, but they're playing 500 ball, and what's interesting is, like, DG, what do you think? Do you think it's that the Mets are actually playing decent ball, or the fact that, like, if I compare them to the Yankees that only have uh, one or two more wins in them, are the Yankees just playing that poorly so far?
1: I actually, you know, Joe, I, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of both. The Mets are playing decent ball. There's no, there's no way around it. They're winning games that they normally wouldn't win. I mean, they almost pulled out that game the other night against uh I think it was it the Phils, I forget, sir. The game where uh, Jonathan Neese came and had that uh, that triple in like the 85th inning, and the Mets, you know, somehow, some way, you know, they lost, and you know, right, the Rays struck out, but they were close to winning. I forget who it was. The Marlins who was against, you know, uh, oh, the Marlins, right? The Marlins. there, right, you know, I was close. But uh, <laughs> aside from that, I think the Mets are playing good baseball, Joe. I think the Mets are doing a good job. They're getting the they're getting the job done, as it were. And the Yankees are just have been playing terrible. I mean, we can get into the Yankees uh, in a little bit. But when you lose six games in a row, and it's your longest losing streak of the year, and it's your longest losing streak in Yankee Stadium, and you got the whole Posada Gate thing going on, which of course we'll get into in a few minutes, it just goes to show you that you honestly just don't know. Um, you don't know what to expect. So, you, like I said, you have to pretty much take it in. Um, you know, you, you got to figure. You got to figure out. You're going to take it in, in, in bite-sized portions. I mean, the Yankees aren't this bad. Uh, maybe the Mets are going to be this good. Maybe the Mets are going to be around 500. But they've been playing good ball, and they've had guys like I said, like a Justin Turner contributing, uh, guys like Dylan G. G. was pitching, you know, excellent today, and it's refreshing. You know, the Mets aren't. I mean, again, I don't think they're going anywhere, but man, it's nice to see the Mets win, Joe. What do you think?
0: I, I agree with you, but again, I I I'd like to see this team um, a little better. But it's it's interesting to see. You know, it's uh, it's always refreshing, like you said, to see this team start winning with people that. The Mets fans are not too familiar with, because I'll be honest with you, I'm not too familiar with all these guys that they've called up from the minors. As much as I know, like the team that's on the field, that is normally on the field, like you know, Ray Mike Davis. But um, two people that uh, to me stand out, I just want to get your thoughts, and I'll give you mine first. Is like Jason Bay has really brought nothing to the table this year, even after coming back from the DL, and I just think that um, you know, if if anything. I don't know if he's just miserable being in New York. I don't know what it is to be honest with you, but if if the guy like catches a hot streak, and he's uh and it's like around July the trading deadline, I would like look to unload this guy because he doesn't look like himself at all from when he was on the Red Sox a couple of years ago. And him and and you look at somebody like Jose Reyes who's playing out of his mind this year. Um, you know you almost have to cringe to hope that the Mets actually don't deal somebody like that just for some uh, minor league talent or whatever some prospects because. I think you could build a team. You could definitely build a team. But, you know, then again, we have to make sure that Jose Reyes wants to be here because he will test the free agent market. What do you think about Jason Bay? What do you think about Jose Reyes so far?
1: I think that you pretty much summed it up. I think that Jason Bay has been scumming it up, as it were. He's done nothing. He's brought nothing to the table. I honestly don't even understand how it's possible. So this guy, who, and I, you know, I, I, mean, I didn't Mets overpay for him. Absolutely. But I thought it was a good move bringing Jason Bay. What do you say to the team? And, unfortunately, he hasn't done jack. I could put my 8-year-old niece out there and she'd do a better job. I could put my, my uh, crazy hopped-up-on-sugar 7-year-old nephew out there and he'll do a better job than Jason Bay. He's not hitting the ball. He's not driving the ball. And it's a shame because he's always been a 30-home-run guy, you know, 30-plus. And, I mean, if he hits 30 in his entire ten-year, you know, three, four years at the Mets, I'll be surprised because he's, he's just not doing anything. He's been terrible, you know, and getting off to the start that he got off to at the beginning of the year was just as bad as it gets, you know, and by the start that he got off to, I mean, starting off on the disabled list, that's horrible, but I gotta admit... I love Jose Reyes, you know, as you as shifting gears onto him. He's been really getting the job done in complete contrast to Jason Bay. He's hitting the ball. He's, you know, although when he struck out the other night when they might could have kind of, you know, used a big hit from him, but he's been, he's, you know, he's been stealing bases. He's been using his speed. He's been hitting triples left and right. He's just such a productive player. I hate, I hate the idea of him no longer being a Met, but I hope that the Mets somehow, some way are able to retain him. I hope that Donald Trump comes in and buys into the team or Vince McMahon or whomever, brings in an influx of cash, and the Mets are able to do what they need to do and keep Jose Reyes around. Because if there's one guy, <coughs> I don't think the Mets can afford to get rid of, it, it, it's, I'm sorry, did I say Jason Bay I about mean, Jose Reyes? Um, if there's one guy the Mets can't afford to get rid of, it, it's Reyes. And even more so than Wright, I think he really is the cornerstone of the team. I mean, the fact that he can't speak English, I guess, doesn't help him in terms of being the spokesman for the team, which is David Wright, obviously. But I think that there's no doubt about it, Jason Bay is a bum, and Jose Reyes is the best guy on this team, he really is, and let me throw somebody out at you, sir, what do you think about Carlos Beltran when he's brought to the table so far this year?
0: You might laugh at this, but I feel like, I mean, I've talked about this with uh, some other people off the show, and I've, you know, uh, Carlos Beltran is in a contract year, and it seems like whenever he's up for a new contract, it seems like he's one of those players that Plays much better when he's, you know, it's time to actually perform for himself. So I feel like he's had a great season so far, and um, he's looking to, you know, get another contract before his career's over. He's looking for probably another three to four year deal in the range of like maybe between twelve and thirteen million dollars a year. If, uh, you know, and I think that he'd probably be best suited now as a DH in the American League. So um, I'm looking to hopefully deal him to an American League team that needs a DH. Did
1: you- I can understand that, but the truth of the matter is, let me ask you this. It's always been a bit confusing to me why guys play so well in their walk year. I mean, does it does it mean that they're motivated to play well and they're not motivated other years when they don't do well? It confuses me because how could you sit there and turn it on, you know, turn it off? I don't understand. I honestly don't understand how it's possible that a guy, I don't think about this the other day, how a guy like Beltran can be so good when he wants to be But, you know, not so good at other times. It's not even about being consistent. It's about these guys are in their walk years. They play like animals. Why don't they play like that, you know, at other times? Why don't they prove that they can, you know, get the job done? I mean, it looks like that's what Jason Bay did. But, again, looking at his body of work, he's always been a good player. Streaky, yes, but always been able to hit his 30 homers with the Mets. Like I said, if he hits 30 all four years, he'll be lucky, sir.
0: I see what you're saying about Carl Beltran, but I also know that this is the Carl Beltran that is always looking out for himself for some reason, but because think about it. Uh, he never once trusted the Mets medical staff to tell him what he needed to be done. He went out and got the knee operation on his knee um, without, you know, basically any uh, consultation from the Mets medical staff. He decided to be his own doctor. He went to his own doctors. He didn't care what the Mets thought. He was going to do what he thought was best for himself.
1: Yeah, but Joe, look at the Mets track record. Look at all the guys who were injured. Remember the Ryan Church fiasco. Would you trust the Mets doctors if you were Carlos Beltran? I know I wouldn't. There's no way I would. Yeah, I I hear
0: you on that. Uh, but it just seems like he's one of those players again. Like I said, that likes to perform on a walk year for for the money. I don't you know I don't know what to tell you. I feel like that's what Carlos Beltran's about. And I think sadly his his legacy for me might be the fact that he didn't swing at a ball down the plate in 2006 against the Cardinals.
1: Well, there's no doubt that that is definitely going to be his legacy, and that's unfortunately what people are going to remember him by, sir. There's no way, shape, or you know, if, ands, or buts about that. We actually have a caller on hold that I'd like to get to now. I know that this caller may, may want to talk about something other than the Mets, but let's see. Uh, we have Angel from Woodland Park joining us. Angel, how are you doing, sir? What's going on? How you feel? Doing good. Hey, doing good. How about you?
2: I'm I'm, uh, I'm listening to what you guys are saying, and and right now the Mets are playing the Yankees, and you know I uh, I would like to I would like to hear what you guys have to say about that.
1: Well, we think that the Mets are going to – well. They're not actually playing the Yankees right now. I just want to clarify no, that they're, they're going to play this weekend <laughs> tomorrow, aren't
2: they? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah well, I just want to make sure, make sure
1: that the fans don't get confused. You know, they they hear yeah. Angel talking about the Mets playing the Yankees, they turn on and they see the Yankees are winning like ten to nothing against the Orioles, but uh. Oh. Honestly, no, they, I, honestly, I think I that the Mets are going to sweep. That's what I hope. Do you uh, honestly think the Mets are going to sweep?
2: I hope so. I mean, you know, they they bound to get at least you know get get some runs together. I mean, they're not going to continue winning one to nothing, three to nothing. I mean, not against the Yankees. The Yankees are very powerful. I mean, they got a they got a lineup that uh, you know they're very superior to the Mets.
0: You know, the the Mets really. Uh, did themselves a favor by canceling one of the games this week when there was actually no rain, I believe, on Tuesday night. Yeah, they canceled I... it. You know, they set up the rotation pretty good to, to go against the Yankees. CeCe Sabathia is pitching tonight, so they don't have to worry about him. And, they, you know, the Yankees pitching, let's just face it, after CeCe Sabathia, you could pretty much beat him. So um, I kind of am with Angel there, DG, and I'm going to be at the game Saturday night um, and hopefully get a win that night. I, I could see them taking two out of three, actually, this weekend. I hope they take the whole three of
2: them, tell you the truth. Oh. <laughs> well, right, of course, Nick, he, course he... I mean, he's bound to have a fantastic game. Maybe, maybe he could do it against
1: the Yankees. Yeah, that would be excellent. I mean, he he was great last year. This year hasn't been so consistent. But Palfrey's actually pitching well. I know he's a bit of a basket case, but he has been pitching excellent, and hopefully he'll be able to get the job done again uh, against the Yankees. But realistically, though, Angel, I think that two out of three is what you're looking for. If you can continue to win series after series, that's how you win ball games, and obviously, but that's how you keep your your head above water. The Mets are playing 500 right now, so is there anybody on this team that uh, you know anything you like about them, dislike? Uh, you know, give us your thoughts real quick. Well, uh, the Mets,
2: I I have seen them
1: since the beginning,
2: since 1962, and you know they've been quite awkward. But I mean, sooner or later, I mean, the team that they had back in two thousand and six—that that was that was that was a fantastic team. I think they won a hundred and something games, didn't they?
1: hundred and uh, no, that uh, year
2: they ran, away, they ran away. with the East. They ran away 97 with ninety-seven
1: games. They won that year.
2: Ninety-seven? I thought it was more than yeah. that. Yeah.
1: You said two thousand six. Two
2: thousand six. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, they, they won they ninety-seven. They were tied. The they, they were tied with the Yankees that year with the most wins.
2: Okay, well, I'm just hoping that they could do something to the Yankees because, you know, the Yankees, they've been getting away with murder for a long time. (laughs) You know, I I was looking at that game today, and actually, uh, Murphy, he was off first base, and they called him out. They called, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Jason Worth. Yeah, (laughs) Worth. He He was safe. They called him out. He was safe. Actually, he was safe.
0: You know, that umpire is from Nutley, New Jersey. His name is Phil Cuzzy and he is the worst umpire in Major League Baseball.
2: You're kidding me. Well, I think he did a fantastic job. I think he did both. <laughs> oh, <I'm> sure. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, I don't think with a, uh, Washington would have had a first and third, you know, one out. So, I think yeah. they, they might have taken the game. Ain't, but ain't anyway, listen, ask- I, I was thinking about Kiki Barber. I, somehow, <laughs> some way came to my mind. I mean, do you think anybody's going to pick him up?
1: Joe?
0: Kiki Barber. I think that the uh, the New England Patriots need a running back up there, so you might see him in a Patriot uniform uh, come the lockout. When the lockout's over, I'm guaranteeing that he ends up uh, as a New England Patriot. You think so? Yep. I mean, he has he deteriorated. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be the same Kiki Barber that he was a few years ago. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think age plays a big factor on that. I Angel, one injured. more
1: question before you go. Uh, switching gears well, you... back to the Mets, because I, I know yes. Joe wanted oh. to ask you this. Do you think that uh, Jose Reyes is going to be a Met come uh, the end of the year?
2: I don't think so. I think he's going to be walking, to tell you the truth. I think well, he's, uh,
1: <laughs> this is
2: his last year, right?
1: Yeah. It, well, no, Well, it's his last year, and the Mets are thinking of trading him because of the fact that they have no money.
2: <laughs> I think they should get rid of uh, a right, too. Think yeah, what would you trade him hand. for? A bag
1: of balls? Well,
2: maybe <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Right now they were right, he's uh, he's not the same. I mean Mo well, talking about Beltran, and I totally agree with you. I mean he's uh, he's he, he has declined quite a bit.
1: You know. So. Yeah, well you know, hopefully he'll hopefully he'll uh, continue to play well and Maybe the Mets will trade him for uh, you know a slice of pizza and some new bats or something. But Angel, we uh, we definitely appreciate you calling in. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time out, and hopefully we'll be able to hear from you again soon when the Mets you know sweep the Yankees this this weekend and win the World Series this year. I will
2: I will definitely call you Tuesday if that if that happens. Anyway, <laughs> right. listen, you yeah. take care of yourself. Uh, stay warm, you know. Be uh, I hope you feel better, and uh, you and your and your colleague, you guys take care of yourself. You're doing a good job.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank Have you, a good night. Angel. That was the one and only Angel from Woodland Park joining us. Huge fan of Mike Francesa, folks. Um, Joe, any uh, any thoughts on uh, the, the classic called by Angel? No, I
0: mean he's always keeping it professional, and that's what I love about Angel. He is the true professional professional. Professional.
1: Of course, he he, he is definitely a, a consummate professional. But aside from that, sir, I thought he made some good points. The Tiki Barber thing, or or, or Kiki, I believe. Uh, Tiki Barber thing aside, you know, I know we talked about this uh, a while back, and uh, you know, le- Tiki is uh, you know former Giant, obviously a former Giant, great. But you know what? Who cares about that right now? Because uh, the uh, football may not even happen this year, Joe. I know we're talking baseball, but give me a quick second. Do you honestly think? They're going to uh, settle this lockout anytime soon? I
0: think they're not going to settle it anytime
1: soon. I think you're going to
0: look at maybe mid-August before they settle it, and then players are going to be out of shape. The season's going to be wishy-washy, and, you know, some team is going to win the Super Bowl, and hopefully it's, you know, the Jets, but we know that's not going to happen anyway. um, But the reason why I picked Tiki Barber going to the Patriots is because the Patriots always have a a reputation of turning, like, uh, over the hill, washed up running backs into decent running backs again when they did that to like Fred Taylor and a couple other running backs that they got past their prime and they did pretty decent so that's why I think that the the New England Patriots will sign Tiki Barber later this year
1: well we'll see, I I love how you gave it the guarantee you gotta lock that up because uh, when he doesn't sign with the Patriots, I'm gonna laugh in your face sir, but going back to the uh, New York Metropolitans 2 out of 3 this weekend sir, I would be happy with that, I'd be thrilled with it you know as a matter of fact, uh, like I told Angel what it comes down to at the end of the game at the end of the day is you gotta win two out of three, you gotta win series. I mean you don't have to sweep, you don't even have to go on huge winning streaks. Consistency just like controversy creates cash, consistency creates capitalism which creates championships, sir.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's great logic right there. I mean I totally agree <laughs> with you. And I am sure. definitely going with uh, you know, a Yankee fan unfortunately, but he has the ticket. Um, to go Saturday night well, and hope I, I believe Mike Pelfrey's pitching, so should be a decent got, game if anything.
1: You got to do what you got to do, but you know what? Pelfrey's actually been pitching pretty well, so I'm glad to see him, uh, you know, getting off the schneid, as it were. And uh, again, you know, like I said before, the Mets have some talent on this team. We just hope that Wright comes back. We hope that Ike Davis comes back. I mean, Ike is my favorite Matt bar none, uh, aside from Reyes. And hopefully, you know, the Turner will continue to hit, and you know, he'll do a good job because he, he you know, offensively, he's been a huge catalyst for this team. You know what I love about the Mets? Joe, let me just mention this, and I know you're going to agree with me on this. Don't you just love and absolutely, aren't you just ecstatic about the fact that this regime is so much different than the last regime? Why? Because if somebody stinks, in a, they give them a week, they give them two weeks, but you're gone. You know, the Mets aren't going to sit there and keep you around for a year, keep you around for three months if you suck. Who is gone? You know, Lun Who, whatever his name is, Enos is gone. You don't get the job done. You know, this this friend, this franchise, this new ownership, uh, ownership. I wish this new regime with uh, Collins and of course Alderson. You're out. What do you think, sir?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you, if if anything, you could take that as a positive for the Mets uh, compared to last year when you had Omar Manaya and Jerry Manuel running the show on the field and you know running personnel. Uh, decisions, You know, you just didn't know what you were going to get. And you, I thought it was, you know, obviously something that they need to fix this year. And they did a great job with the people that they picked. I mean, I don't know these people as much as I know, like Omar Manaya obviously. But over the next couple Probably. of years, I'm sure that Mets fans are going to get used to this general manager much more. than, And they're going to like him much more because just like my name is just business, this guy is all about being just business. You don't perform, get the hell out.
1: That's it. You know, and, and, and the truth of the matter is that that, of course, brings us to, it, it brings us to the uh, the classic quote, sir.
2: Christ, if I was the commissioner, I'd be
3: out there on Monday, keep me out. Gone. Gone. Me... Go?
1: And that is yeah. exactly how I feel. I agree with Mr. Russo on that point, sir. But uh, you know it, it, it's good to see. I mean, I'm looking at the stats here for for Turner. I mean, the, the guy's got 13 RBI and 50 FS and only 18 games played batting 333. I know it's early, but man, he he's really hitting well. You know, he's got five doubles. You know, he's got a home run under his belt. I, I like uh, I like Turner. You know, he's a uh, he's a young guy. He's only about uh, you know 27 years old. So you know, the Mets are the Mets maybe you know he's in the prime of his career. Maybe he'll do something. I mean, he he hasn't played too much. He played with the uh, He played with the Orioles a couple years ago, and last year played a little bit, you know, with the Mets and the Orioles again. So he doesn't have a lot of major league experience, but, hey, you know, maybe he'll be good, sir.
0: Um, Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And like DG said before, the Mets season, I mean, the best way you could take it as a Mets fan is to take it in pieces uh, weeks at a time, maybe a month at a time. But, you know, we're riding the roller coaster, and now we're on the upswing because, you know, as bad as they played before, they're playing actually much better as of late so hopefully they could go into Yankees game t- two out of three. The only thing I want to mention on the Yankees, because you know, we are definitely Yankee haters, which everyone should be, but you know, not everyone's perfect. Um the only thing I want to mention about the Yankees is that they have been struggling. They did lose six in a row recently, and this whole story, I mean, it's good to give us your take and I'll give you my take, D G, on this whole Jorge Posada decides Joe Girardi decides that Jorge Posada batting one sixty two I'm going to drop him down ninth in the lineup. And then Posada, before the game starts, goes, I don't want to play, basically. Gives three different excuses uh, as to why he's not going to be playing. DG, I mean, the bottom line to me is that what Jorge hey, Posada, is unforgivable. If this is any other player, especially like a rookie or a first-year player or a second-year player, he'd be off the team. He'd be cut for quitting on the team. (laughs) He decided that he was above the team. He didn't want to play. Because he's going to bat ninth, he thought that was punishment, and for him to give three different excuses to the media, I thought it was just a slap in the face to the Yankees. And the, what's even worse is that Derek Jeter didn't even care about it. If you heard his comments after the fact, he even said that it was no big deal. But you know what? It is a big deal when you do this kind of stuff, especially on the Yankees, sir.
1: I agree, and you know the truth is like like you said, if he was any other guy, <clears throat> obviously than Jeter. And he knew newer guy, he's gone. You know, we just played the clip, but he would have got the hell out. They would have, they would have fired him. They would have, you know, sent him off to the dogs. And you know, the truth is, it's like Basada quit on his team. Let's be honest, sir. There's no way their fans are butts about it. You know, he quit on his team. He didn't show up. His wife was, I think, tweeting about it, which is the first place that I heard it. How do you take yourself out of the game? You're batting ninth, but you know what? If the manager puts you to bat ninth, if the manager puts you to get the water, you need to do it. You need to be a team player. What does that say to the rest of the team, sir? And I know that the, I know that the Yankees were getting on uh, uh, Jeter a bit, and it seems to have maybe it's moved over now with the last three-game winning streak, but the fact of the matter is that you have your, your two of your top stars and classic, you know, guys winning five championships with the team, growing up in the, with the Yankees, being pitted against Girardi, the manager, and, of course, uh, the cash, the, uh, the general manager. I mean, what do you think about that? What do you think about the unrest? I know as as Met fans and Yankee here, we love it, but being objective about this, I mean, is this gonna is this gonna affect the Yankees come the rest of the year? Because these are your leaders of your team not standing up for what's right. What does that say for the rest of the guys? What what kind of example are they gonna get from Jorge Posada?
0: Yeah, you're right, and I think he actually played tonight, so I don't know how he actually did. The Yankees are up eleven nothing, but um, if, uh, if I'm a player, like a first or second year player and I see this happens, I just, you know, I think that there's no, um, it's it's really a unfair, um, you know, ball club, an unfair locker room where, you know, the, the, for the fact that this guy won five world championships and now he's being treated like a king and he gets to decide if he wants to play or not is just unbelievable. I mean, the manager has the final say on our lineup before the game, and he decides where to bat you. If you decide that you don't want to bat ninth, well, then you take it up with him. But you're still going to bat ninth that game. And if you don't want to play the next game, that's fine. We'll make sure that you're not in the lineup. But he embarrassed Joe Girardi more than anything. And these two guys were actually, uh, you know, they were actually teammates. Uh, that...
1: No, they are teammates. But I've heard, you know, my sources, as it were, I've heard that Posada doesn't like Girardi for whatever reason. He just can't stand the guy. And, you know, it's it sucks. When you have that terrible relationship with your manager, I mean, like, at the end of the day, as long as you continue to win, I guess it doesn't matter. But, man, that, that that's definitely not a good look for the Yankees to have one of your veteran guys, um, d- you know, doing that and acting that way. And obviously there's no excuse for what he did. Maybe his uh, his strongest supporters may may still be in favor of him. But I, I don't think you can be, to be quite honest. I think this is un- unexcusable. If, uh, Fitz was the Yankee fan, was telling me that. The other day, I mean, he didn't think it was a big deal. But, of course, I had to set him straight. I laid the smack down on him because, you know, you, you know this from T-Boy, you know this from Little League. When the manager tells you something, he's the boss. You do what he says, like it or not. Like you said, you take it up with him later. Jim Riggleman was on the fan yesterday, and he was talking about how, you know, if you're going to if you're gonna yell, scream, do whatever, but do it in the privacy of the office. Don't do it on the field. Don't do it where the TV cameras can pick everything up, but don't do it in a way where the news media is going to hear anything. And, unfortunately, that's what happened here. And, you know, it reminds me when when Willie Randolph was making, uh, you know, that's a lot of meat, subway commercials. Instead of running this team the way that he should, he was pretty much, uh, you know, Making making horrible commercials and you know there was an arrest. It was the inmates running the asylum. You don't get that impression now with uh, Terry Collins, and it's unfortunate for the Yankees uh, in terms of you know what they're trying to do this year and the talent that they have on this team that they can't get one of the guys who you would expect to just be on the ball and ready to rock and roll. You know, doing what he needs to do. And 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 Posada's not doing it. And again, you know, you had the whole thing with Jeter basically defending him and nothing was a big deal. I mean, yeah, that's his buddy, but come on, Derek, you you, you got to show some guts on that one,
0: sir. You you do and uh, you know I'm trying to look at this unbiasedly because you know as much as I hate the Yankees what you know what the Yankees did for Jorge Biscada if you think about it this way DG in the off season they gave this guy a four year extension at 13 million dollars a year knowing that his last two or maybe even three years and they're starting to realize that it's actually the last four years his entire contract is to just a you know an award for him you know doing what he did earlier in his career when he won five championships. The Yankees gave this guy a four-year deal for fifty-two million dollars, and for him to quit on the team is just—it's unbelievable that the team would give him thirteen million dollars a year, knowing that this guy is not going to be, be able to put the same numbers up that he did when he was in his prime, and, they, and he still quit on the team. It's just—that's what gets me—is that this team gave him fifty-two million-dollar extension, a four-year extension, and he still quit up on the team because he decided he didn't want that ninth in the lineup.
1: I agree with that. I understand what you're saying, but do you think that the Yankees should have handled it a little bit differently? I mean, these guys, unfortunately, have these egos that you need to massage. You think it was right for them to just abruptly say, you know what, Georgie? Georgie, Juice one. You are not the catcher anymore. Go DH. Out of nowhere, out of left field, no practice, no nothing. It wasn't even like they were, you know, slowly bringing him in. It's just, all right, you're not a catcher anymore. You think they should have handled it that way? I know Jeff Nelson was on, uh, was on with Steve Summerston, I he was talking about it, and I was listening to it, of course. Um, and he thought maybe the Yankees could have handled it a little bit differently, and maybe that's part of the problem. But what, what do you think about that, sir?
0: But I mean, let me just put it this way: you know who comes out smelling like roses in this all this situation with this Posada guy? <coughs> it, it, it It's Brian Cashman. You know why? Do you know that they uh, the the four guys: uh, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, uh, back in the day, Andy Pettit, and uh, one of the other original Yankees from the, the late nineties. I can't think of him. Um, who do we have here? Jeter, Posada, Rivera, and Pettit, Pettit? Right? Those four guys. Do yeah. you know that they negotiated their contract with George Steinbrenner directly? They didn't use the general manager. That's the general manager's job is to negotiate a contract. These guys went above Brian Cashman's head and went right to the owner, knowing that the owner would give him more money. But Brian Cashman is the consummate professional. He knows what these guys are valued at. He knows what kind of contract is a fair business contract. And for Jorge Posada to go above Brian Cashman's head, and now this happens, I think Brian Cashman comes out smelling like roses.
1: I, I agree with that, you know, and it's just interesting, but you know, when Tory was there when uh when uh well Cashman has been there for a long time. Who was the general manager before Cashman? It was it Watson, right? Bob Watson, but that was a long time ago.
0: Wasn't it Gene Michael right before him?
1: No, Gene Michael was the was the manager, uh, the general manager long before that. He wasn't the general okay. manager recently. I think he was the general manager in the eighties but you know, uh, when Torre was there, you didn't seem to have these problems, but maybe it's the fact that Girardi's so young and he recently was a player and some of the guys may not respect him, but, you know, I guess at the end of the day, all that matters is that if they win. If they continue to win and get the job done, I think the reason that Gate was so horrible and so bad and so blown out of proportion, even though, obviously, it was bad, but, uh, you know, it's because of the fact that the Yankees were in the middle of that losing streak. You know, it's their longest losing streak of the year. I think their longest losing streak in the new Yankee Stadium, which is kind of, you know, surprising. Obviously, only six games, but... You know, now now they're back, they're they're ready to rock and roll and they're ready to do what what, what needs to be done, sir.
0: Yep. So we'll see where the Yankees and, and Mets go from here. They have a series it's it's unusual to see the Mets and Yankees playing in the month of May. Usually you have those games in the month of June and later on even sometimes in the first week in July, so um they decided they, cha- they decide to change the schedule up a bit and the you know, the Mets go in uh relatively hot into Yankee Stadium against a team that You know, the Yankees are, you know, they won the last two games in a row, but they have been struggling as of late. So the Yankees, like all good teams, will only go as far as their starting pitching will take them. And right now, CeCe Sabathia has been okay, and the rest of the starting pitching has been okay. What I find interesting about the Yankees starting pitching is that um, I've been following Bartolo Colon the last couple starts, and this guy, I I don't want to accuse him of anything, but but I think this guy's on steroids. You know, he's still throwing... About ninety six, ninety seven miles an hour. How did nobody want to pick up this guy when this guy's still throwing ninety six, ninety seven miles an hour?
1: Yeah, that, that's amazing. But you know, Bartolo Colon, he's a former Cy Young Award winner. But he, 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 what was he doing before the Yankees picked up? I mean, they literally got this guy off the scrap heap. And the truth of the matter is that, I mean, it, it's nice to see uh, in terms of uh, of a story, and it's nice to see him doing so well. But you know, let, 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 let let's see what happens with that. We have. Uh, Dominic from uh from Hicksville joining us uh on our show. And uh, I know he's got a little uh, Jorge Posada on his mind. Dominic, how are you doing sir?
4: Hey, how are you tonight?
1: Doing good, doing good. Uh so you'd like to talk about uh Georgie Basada, Georgie Juice in the ball. What what's up?
4: Yeah, you know what? This this whole thing I I don't even had I don't think it had anything to do with batting ninth because he he even said he was okay with it. I think it had more to do with him playing first base and like like now you got to play first base and to share a DH. But I think that's what it really came down to is um, cuz I know he was taking ground balls and I uh, I think that's what really got to him is he wasn't allowed to be on the field and you know it, by everybody's account, you know, it, it's 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 a big change going to DH. Uh, you know when you're in the game, especially a catcher. Catchers into the game like hours before the game even starts.
1: Yeah, yeah. And well, yeah, obviously. And you know, and it's a key position. And that's what I was saying right before you actually called in. Uh, you know, the truth of the matter is that. But the Yankees going from DH, I mean, catcher all of a sudden DH and he's not playing the field or anything, I'm sure that's got to hurt his ego because, obviously, five-time, you know, uh, champion, he's he's got an ego. You know, he just signed that big contract. But let me ask you, Dominic, do you think that what he did on Saturday was right? I mean – Oh, no, no, he was
4: absolutely he, wrong. He he was – you don't quit on your team ever. Uh, but I, I think that was um, – who was it? I, I forgot who was on today uh, – on, I think it was FAN, but he uh, – I forgot who, who it was, but he said, you know, if it happened once – oh, I'm sorry, Smoltz. Uh, he, he said if it happens once, you know, the guy's been playing for 15 years, he's been a soldier, He's you know, he's shut his mouth and stuff. If it happens yeah, yeah. once, everybody's fine with it. Everybody in the clubhouse is fine with it. Every player is fine with it. You know, when it starts happening three or four times, then, you know, then it starts, you know, becoming a problem. But I think yeah. everybody forgave him in in the clubhouse. And but what he did was totally wrong. Uh, I you know, you know what? It, it's it's funny that like I bet you his agent talked him into doing that because just like anybody, you know, if you get mad at somebody and you know you tell your friend and then your friend starts egging you on, like oh that's yeah. wrong, that you know, you, you know you start getting worked up. But you know I really believe you know that. That's what happened. It, it has to do with the first base. It has to do with, I think, Cashman. Um, you know, Cashman played it great. He he got involved in it, and then he just disappeared. So, yeah. he, he, you know, his hands are clean, but he got on national TV when it really didn't need to be. And right. and I and I think just before that, when all, all this exploded, I don't know if it happened before or after, but I I could put money on it that Jorge Posada went up to Cashman and said, you know, either release me or trade me. And Cashman said, yeah, I no.
1: heard about that, yeah,
4: and and you know, I was saying that from the from the start as soon as I heard he he met with Cashman you know around six thirty and and that probably got him crazy too and 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 here's the big thing that people don't really realize he's looking Posada's looking across the 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 field and seeing Veritech. and he's hitting one sixty, no home runs, and he's still catching, and that's got to kill him." Right. How Boston treated their guys, you know, with, with Ortiz, who sat around for a you know, half a year, hitting you know two hundred with like one home run, and then Francona was saying, you know, this guy deserves it. You know, he brought us, you know, he got us a World Series. He got us two World Series. You know, he deserves to have all the time in the world to try to get this to, to get out of it. And and the players are talking, you know that. So you know, I I think all that led to this, but I, it's over now as far as I think it's it's gonna be you know, it's over with. As far now, as Dominic, future things.
0: Yeah. Right. Do you think now going into the Subway series, you think that um the the Mets could actually take two out of three the way they're playing lately? Or do you think the Yankees are the Yankees and they'll still show uh, that why they're the Yankees?
4: If, if you asked me three days ago I said the Mets are gonna sweep <laughs> <laughs> But now the uh, Yankees are back. Yeah. You know, and yeah you know, it's They have a shot at winning two out of three. I think I'd be happy if they just win one. If they win one, I'd be happy. With with so many injuries they have, uh, you know, they're going in with you know, you know, half a lineup. You know, they're missing their three, four, and whatever. You know, three, four hitters, and if uh, Bay is isn't hitting anything, you know, you got a couple of singles today. Like, you know, it's not what you're getting paid for all that money for. So, but yeah, you know, if they win one. Yeah, you know, I'd probably be happy with it. You know, but if they win two I'd be ecstatic. But the Yankees look like they're over the hump now. And I and I think ha- that, oh, I'm sorry. 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 No, I think sorry. that fifteen inning game was huge because it's not it you know what? They could have lost that game. Not the fifteen inning game, the game against Tampa. They really right. should have lost that game. You know, if you look at it. You know, Tampa left a million people on base. And and that's the type of game that gets you over it. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's a, you know the game that you hung on. Then you you know you breathe you know a sigh of relief. If you win 15 nothing, then you go oh well we faced a junky pitcher and we got lucky. But those mm-hmm. types of games, it's like a like a, like a slump. You know, not home runs don't get you out of slump. It's those little bloop things. It's those seeing eye grounders that you go okay now it's turned. You know yeah so. But you know, I think the Yankees are back. I think the Yankees are going to go on a streak now for a while.
0: I mean, my last—I guess my last question, Dominic, for in terms of Mets, because we've been really like dissecting this team from the get-go of the season. Um, do you think, and you, I mean, do you think Reyes is going to be here at the end of the year, or do you think the Mets should just deal now when they have an opportunity?
4: You know what? I yeah, you know, I said uh, a couple of times that. First, it's the numbers. It's not even, you know. I think the Mets want him. I think everybody like really agrees with that that he should really be on his team. But it's the numbers. I mean, if he wants seven years for 140 million dollars, it's bye bye. You know, you got to get rid of him. But I, you know, right now I, I think you should get rid of him as quick as possible. He's hitting good. You know, he's hitting 340 or whatever he was hitting. You know, lately, but. You know, it's the same, same thing like with Beltron because I'm afraid that by the time the trading deadline comes in in July, they'll be on a slump. So I, yeah. I think, it, you, you know, you get rid of them now and, you know, you just get get the best deal you can because, like I said, it, I would offer him a contract now, you know, uh, I don't know, six years, $100 million maybe. And if he doesn't take it because, you know, Boris is his agent. People don't forget. You know, people forget. It's that.
1: unfortunate, yeah.
4: Yeah. But and, and the truth is,
1: Dominic, though, is if the Mets had the money, you know, they'd have to re-sign him. I mean, obviously, we're all big uh, Reyes fans, and he is the catalyst for this team. And you know, Dominic, we uh, we appreciate you calling in, and of course, you're welcome to call in any time here on, on Pure Gold. So, uh, so you know, you have a good one, and uh, we, you know, it. we'll continue to talk a little bit of Mets. But again, thanks for calling in, sir. Uh,
4: thank you, and great show, fantastic. show. Thank you,
1: sir. We appreciate uh, you it. You too. Folks, that was one and only Dominic from Hicksville calling us, and yes, that Dominic from Hicksville of WFAN fame. JB, as we're getting ready to turn the table, to turn the tide, to turn it, as it were. Any final uh, thoughts on the, on the Mets of the Yankees?
0: We could only hope to have a you know a fun series this weekend. Hopefully, it's not one side on the Yankee side. You know, we're hoping for a sweep, but. Realistically, two out of three, we come out smelling like roses, and you know the way the Mets are playing, it's not you know a long shot. I think that actually the way they're playing lately, I think they actually can go in there and take two out of three from this team.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, sir. I agree. You know, my my uh, a wonderful caller earlier, Angel from uh, from Woodland Park, was a bit delusional talking about winning three, sweeping it or whatever. They're not going to sweep, most likely. But the truth of the matter is that if the Mets can win two out of three, I mean, you'd have to be ecstatic. You'd have to take that. You would absolutely be thrilled. Because, Joe, I'm feeling a little better about the Mets. I'm sure you agree with me. They're not going to be a great team this year. But, man, at least they show you something. At least they're showing something. And I think this weekend will be no different. Even if they lose two out of three, I think they're going to they're gonna show us something and at least show that they're, uh, you know, trying to get the job done. As it were, sir. But, of course... Yeah. This entire segment, this entire part of the show, great show, the greatest show on earth, was brought to you by dot com. If you're into soccer, which unfortunately I'm not, but many people around the world, it is the most popular sport in the world. And, of course, one of my nephews is the next Pele, the next uh, Diego Maradona, the next uh, Kaka. No, not that kind of Kaka. But, of course, it's the most popular sport in the world. Still can't figure out why. I know Joe you get into it when it comes to the World Cup and stuff with Italy and, and and doing a a good job as it were. But if you like soccer, come to Cuba Soccer for the best in soccer shirts. We have soccer T shirts for Footballistas worldwide. Check us out at K U B L A dot com. And of course, As I said earlier, for those of you out there, those of you who are really into soccer, which uh, millions and billions and billions of people are, check them out. Great website, great quality printing done by one of our other clients. But I won't get into that there. JB, as we get ready to shift gears, to move along, one of our most popular segments, one of the most classic segments, one of the greatest segments in the history of the world. JB, what do you think about this? Last week, last Thursday, last Tuesday, whatever day it was, I'm so lost. They had Smallville in the rain. If you think that was last time we were going to talk about Smallville because the show is over, you are sadly and sorely mistaken. Because the fact is that this is one of our favorite shows. It's probably our favorite show. We can all agree on it. Um, you, myself, and Hansel, of course. But you know what? We talked about the finale ad nauseum, as it were. Our entire show Tuesday was dedicated to it. I, as I stated at the beginning of the episode, this episode, I just was watching the greatness of the finale again. I was watching the part with Lois and Clark, and, you know, they they do their whole thing. Joe, you and I were talking about it right before the show went on the air in our little pre-show production meeting. But, man, you were right about one thing, Joe. Watching it again and really seeing it clearly, it goes to show you how perfectly, how spot-on, how accurate that ending was. And it really saved the finale because some of the rest of it, I I still go back to the whole um, thing with Lex and, you know, watching Tess again wipe his memory. I thought that was so terrible it's such a horrible idea, but if you notice, Joe, I'm not sure if you caught this the 15 times you watched it. You know when Lois goes to um, the to, to real Jimmy, how many Great Caesars ghosts is that? Do you remember when she said that?
0: I do, sir, right by the window of Perry White.
1: I don't know if you heard if you're paying attention to what Perry said, but one thing Perry said that was interesting, he said, you know, nobody is going to strong-arm this paper, not Lex Luthor, nobody, so maybe the evil Lex had come back at that point. It gives me hope because that little glimpse, of, you know, that little glimmer of hearing Michael McKean or, or Perry White talk about it really got me thinking, man, you know, maybe maybe there is something to it. Maybe Lex did kind of get his memory back as you and I had discussed off the air.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all possible. But, uh, again, I'm glad that you were able to watch it for a second time because I think you pick up on a lot more things when you watch it a second and third time. And, like you said, um, some of the things made no sense, like erasing his memory, but if he did get it back and is evil again, that's fine. But uh, I looked at it as a whole, and for them, the last like the last five minutes, that last whole scene was delivered so perfectly, and it was such the perfect way to end the show. That's why I thought it was just such a great series finale, the best series finale I had ever seen.
1: I agree with, with that. You know, the truth is, when you look at season finales and series finales, I mean, Smallville was always great at season finales, but most shows have horrible season finales, or series finales. I keep mixing the two up. Remember Seinfeld? Remember how horrible that finale was there?
0: That was horrendous. I mean, for them to get arrested for, you know, basically not helping a a, a fellow, um, you know, fellow neighbor, I forget what that law was in Massachusetts, but I, I thought they, you know, I did think they wanted to introduce every character again, but the plot line. You know, I mean, the buildup for that finale was so huge. I think that might have been the biggest finale buildup that I've ever seen for a show to see what, you know, what Seinfeld's how he's going to end the show. And they delivered absolutely nothing. I thought that was probably the worst serious finale. And I loved the the show Seinfeld up until that finale, sir.
1: You think it had anything to do with uh, Larry David no longer being a part of the the crew? Because I don't know if you noticed, but that last season, the intro was different than every other season.
0: Uh, it was different, and it, I mean, it could it could very really well be that there was no Larry David at the end, that they did that kind of serious finale, but it did no justice. I mean, when when we think about Seinfeld and we talk about the finale, I mean, I think that that finale is probably the worst, like I said, in terms of, like, serious finales.
1: So you would compare this and the complete opposite end of the spectrum, saying that it is the best you've ever seen? Uh, that would be Smallville, of course?
0: I would, but then again, Smallville... I mean, we knew what we wanted, and we got what we wanted, and we've pre- it was pretty much predictable. With Seinfeld, he could have ended the show in you know eight hundred different ways, and we would have never thought about it the way he would end it. Like this way was just horrible. But you know, the fact that Smallville, we knew that he had to become Superman. It was almost predictable, and even the fact, that it, it, despite the fact that it was predictable, it still delivered spot on. I mean, I I love the ending,
1: Hans. And thank you for joining us, of course. We're we're finally...
0: Wait, Wait, I just want to introduce... This is the co-founder and uh, vice president of the Pete Ross Fan Club. Hans, how are you, sir? (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Okay. Good. Good. We're
1: doing good. We're doing good. We were just discussing how... Um, how the show, I, I just saw the, the finale again, I, well, the very end of it, I saw the scene with Lex and Tess, which I was telling, uh, which I was telling JB, I hated it again, but there's one part, and I'm not sure if you caught it, when uh, Lois is outside of Perry's office, Perry says, no one is going to strong-arm uh, this paper, you know, not even Lex Luthor, so that makes me think that maybe the evil Lex is back, like we were discussing the other day, but we were just kind of comparing this show, this finale, to the Firestorm finale, in terms of how terrible that was, That show, I know you were a fan of that show also, but I think Smallville really hit all the right notes at the very end. That last scene, which I saw again, was absolutely pure gold, sir.
3: I actually missed that part. I I don't know why I didn't catch on to it, but I actually did that part. You have to hear it clearly. You have to, to listen to it again. again. Yeah, when you yeah, watch I'll, it, go back
1: and listen... Listen specifically, when Lois is outside of the office, when she goes, how many great Caesars ghosts has it been? You hear Perry say that, and then right before that, of course, you see the scene where the, the Luther part of Lex Corp, or Luther Corp, is down. And then, of course, you have the X coming across to make it Lex Corp. But uh, just go back to that scene, and, and, and I'm telling you, it, it's classic, sir. But, uh, you know, again, any any other thoughts on, on that part of the finale, the very end? You know how... It, when I heard it When I saw it again It's just I got goosebumps And my wife makes fun of me But I got goosebumps It was spot on Where it needed to be And it hit all the right notes
3: The the only part That I really got Any type of goosebumps Was the scene With Lex and Clark And the speech that Like If, if you listen To that speech It just It defines Their whole relationship How it's a friendship But they're enemies How at the very end He tells them Even though, you know, we're enemies, I need you to save the plan. And it just, to me, it embodies the whole series of how they were together, how they would be friends or how they started out as friends and became enemies. And even at the end, even knowing everything he knew about Clark, Lex still considered him a friend. And it was just beautiful. And the part where he says um, how he never wanted his gifts and Lex would have taken those gifts. It just that whole speech just embodies everything about the relationship, and I loved
0: it. That's the only part I got goose goosebumps on. Yeah, and Jerry yeah, you didn't you, you didn't get any goosebumps. At, you really didn't get any goosebumps at the very end, though. I mean that the well, last when, when two three when he uh,
3: Superman or Clark uh, flew out of the fortress. The only I got goosebumps because. It reminded me of the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeves. When he leaves the Fortress of Solitude, he leaves the same way. If you ever, I don't know if you remember, but he goes into the Fortress of Solitude wearing his, um, like, a blue shirt and uh, uh, a red jacket. And then he comes out wearing the Superman suit. And it just reminded me so much of that movie. and like the the whole flying scene the the scenes with the father they were all awesome and but I just really loved the the speech between uh lex and Clark
0: now hans what what do you think about the fact that I believe Tom Welling didn't want to be in the uniform at all on t v and all the all the all the Superman scenes were all computer graphics uh you know Nothing with the real person, Tom Welling, in the uniform. Would you, did you like the fact that Tom Welling had that much respect for the uniform that he didn't want to put it on and be on TV with it, and it was all computer graphics?
3: It, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, yeah, I, I like that he he chose not to do it, but at the same time, we all wanted to see him in it. Like, he could have given us that much. But, I mean, he did rip off his shirt, the classic Superman um he rips off his shirt, the S in the chest. So, I mean, he gave us that much, which is which is still great, which is still, like, in any movie, any comic, that's such an iconic part of being Superman that he did at least do that. So him not flying around in the suit is fine. Like, I, I really don't mind it.
1: Yeah, I, I liked it. I think that Tom. I heard something that he didn't. He, maybe he was a little flabby or whatever. He had not right down, He didn't want to see it. But at the end, when he goes to the to the top of the of the Daily Planet, I was about to say the Daily Bugle. Um, and he you know, the music starts playing and he starts taking and you know, takes the shirt off and then it, it does a close up of him. It was just so perfect. I mean, it's exactly how I told Joe. It's exactly how I thought the show would end. And it was just great. It was a great finale. It was amazing. And, you know, it leads me into what I'd like to talk about the show, you know, as, as we move. You know, we can always continue to refer back to the finale, and I'm sure that we will even in this segment. But I'd like to kind of talk about the characters themselves. I mean, I, I played the music at the beginning of the scene. i oh, sorry, Fitz played the music at the beginning of this segment. And we're going to continue to talk about Smallville Um the characters and whatnot, but we need to start with the main character, of course. We need to start with Mr. Mr. Clark Kent. Hans, let me ask you first. Give me an overall take, you know, briefly, if you could, what you thought of the the evolution of Clark from the very first episode all the way up until the S came on the chest and he dropped it like it was hot. Well, it looks like Hans uh you know is so emotional he can't he can't speak right now but JB uh same question to you what do you think about from the first season on to we where where we finally ended up give me your thoughts on on the evolution of the one and only Clark Kent
0: I think Clark from from the beginning of the show 10 years ago from season 1 always had he always seemed to have a trust issue with even his closest friends I mean he never had that that full Trust in anybody d g and it seemed like all the way until maybe the very end is when he finally gained that trust. I mean look at all his his friends. he never could trust Lana to tell of the secret um he eventually told uh he eventually told Lana and Lois the secret, but it drove Lana away from him. Well, they did a pretty bad storyline, but I think yeah yeah, yeah bo- yeah, yeah, I think the bottom line is that Clark, from beginning to end uh definitely had a trust issue. And it seemed like he, as the seasons went on, he never gained that trust until he was maybe Superman.
1: Yeah. You know what I liked? uh, Well, actually what I didn't like, but what I did like, if you look at the dynamic between Clark and Lana versus Clark and Lois, it was so different. You know, I talked about the 100th episode where he finally tells uh, Lana his secret and then, of course, the father dies and everything goes back in time and all that other garbage. But with Lana... He was always afraid to tell her, you know, because he had that one fake part where she died and then he was upset or whatever. It was always that. It was always Lana this, Lana that, I can't tell Lana, I can't tell Lana. Eventually, Lana found out, but not because Clark told her. She found out because, um, you know, she set something up and basically scammed him into into helping her, you know, as it were. Or maybe it was Chloe, I forget. I think it was Chloe, actually, who he had to he had to free. At this point, of course, Chloe knew but with Lois, Clark was able to just be himself after a couple of years, but be himself, to come outright and tell her who he is and about his powers. And I remember her reaction to that, which was a classic moment in Smallville history. But she already knew, but Clark could trust her. And that was the big difference between, between the two relationships. And I thought it really defined the show. I loved the lot of character at the time, but Clark finally moving on from her, moving on to Lois was great. And it really helped springboard him into what he would become. Of course, as the Man of Steel, there.
0: Did you do you think that Clark really had a hundred percent confidence and trust in in um, in Lois? I mean, look at two episodes before that when they were in the Phantom Zone, and he had set a clock to basically count down, and if it, he did, they didn't get out of that. Him and Ollie didn't get out of the Phantom Zone. It was going to blow up, and for her not to know that wasn't that another uh, example of him not trusting anybody?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is an example. I would say. But the truth of the matter is that, I mean, it just makes for a good story. I mean, in real life, obviously, you would tell your wife something like that. And, of course, your wife would kick and scream and probably kick you, you know, in in between the uprights and not let you go. But the fact of the matter is that in a situation like that, you know, it's a story. It's drama. It makes for it. Clark has to trust her. He trusted her way more than he ever trusted Lana. And I think that's ultimately the key that made – their relationship successful, and ultimately, you know, seven years in the future, they finally got over the whole hiccup, the hang up of getting married. But of course, you know, they ended up get, about to get married, and I even love that scene where they're down on the on the knees, and she's like, "Hey, you know, cut it out, Clark. Nobody's watching." And of course, he has the rings and everything. You know, he's the bumbling Clark that we all know and love. I just loved how that scene perfectly encapsulated the history and and, and the the story of, of Lois and, and Clark. And to me, sir, I don't know if you agree with this, but to me, they are the definitive. Lois and Clark, I mean heck, they played the roles for six years together, and of course Clark ten years as uh you know Tom Welling playing Clark for ten years. What do you think about that?
0: I thought that the you're right, I thought they casted it perfectly with uh Tom Welling, and I forget Lois's name in real life You'll Erica yep, that's her, <laughs> but I also thought that um I guess I have um um I guess I shouldn't be comparing lois um. To the lowest of the movies, because that lowest she was definitely had a chip on her shoulder, but she didn't she wasn 't as brave and as brash as she was on the series, like smallville may it seem like she was her own independent woman uh the lowest lane in the movies was somewhat of an independent woman, where she knew that she wanted to get the story and she would do anything to get the story, but it seemed like they they didn't make her exactly like the movies sir
1: no, they didn't but you know she had the same type of uh wit that Margot Kidder had, that same type of, you know, ability to, to kick tail and do what she had to do, and, you know, and, and enough's enough. Uh, she she got the job done, and of course, at the beginning, though, she was kind of, you know, she was a bit standoffish with Clark, I mean, she saw the dude naked, which was kind of awkward, of course, but she was a bit standoffish with him at the beginning, and she kind of grew up into it, but growing up as a reporter over the years, it was good to see... Um, it was good to see that, you know, she was able to move forward and I really think she defined Lois Lane. She defined Erica Durance really made the role hers. She didn't try to be Margot Carter, she tried to be Erica Durance, which was which was great.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we look at, you know, basically the whole cast, I mean Michael Rosebaum was the perfect Lex, uh, when you compare him to any other Lexes uh in any other series, Superman or Smova related. And um, you know, again, your favorite character, favorite actor on the show uh Jonathan Schneider was just the perfect father for Clark on the show. I mean, he was always there to guide him, always provide that advice that Clark always needed and was definitely that you know, that person to lean on and I thought that his uh role and that actor John Schneider was the perfect role as the father.
1: Yeah. Well I mean Jonathan Schneider, forget about it, he was a man. Um mm. you know and, and any other things you liked about Clark or, or even disliked about him. One thing that really bugged me was his The fact that he couldn't trust anybody and people always found out pretty much by scamming him or by, you know, the only time he really uh, revealed who he was was when he was on the Red K, as it were, or crack. And uh, other than that, he was always so standoffish. I mean, it ruined his relationship with Lex, which, of course, it it had to happen. But it really affected Lon, It really affected Pete. It really affected everyone. I mean, nobody was, he wasn't able to trust anybody, which is something that really, it it, it always kind of bothered me, you know. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's the same thing with me. His trust issue from the beginning of the show till now was always something that was his um his like I guess his other kryptonite, if you will, his weakness was that he just couldn't trust somebody fully. So, um all in all though, the character uh Clark I thought that in this show was portrayed as perfect as you could get to being the Clark, um, you know, in terms of being then becoming Superman. So I think that they did a good job with that. But I think they they always wanted to make you realize that Clark always had some type of trust issue with anybody he dealt with throughout his life.
1: Yeah, I had rather than his parents, obviously, and I agree with that. But, I mean, to me, that kind of made him more Bruce Wayne than Clark Kent, if you know what I'm saying. Bruce was always the type of character who, who didn't trust anybody. Eventually he did, and then, of course, they probably betrayed him or died. But, you know, with Clark, I thought that it kind of helped. To me, it made the show stagnant over the years because you were just hoping he would finally get off his high horse and and trust, I mean, he loved Lana, obviously, and, you know, he'd be able to trust her, and he couldn't. And that, I think, really hindered the show, and like I said, it made it seem stagnant for all those years.
0: Yeah, he was always afraid that if he put his entire trust in somebody, that he'd be endangering them. But it seemed like the only person he actually, I mean, what do you think about the fact that it seemed like the only person he really fully trusted, um, if anybody, was uh, to an extent Chloe? I mean... He really confided in her a lot of the information, even though she found out by accident. After that, he seemed like you know he could confide in almost anything to her.
1: Yeah, I think that the way that they set it up was more to, like like Council said on a on Tuesday's show, she basically became his Pete Ross, which is right. not the way that it should have been, but you know it kind of is what it is. But you know one thing that I one thing that I noticed about the show was that. Um, and I always loved this, and towards the end, obviously, the, the final thing you got in the last episode, it, it, it panned out perfectly, but I always liked when Clark would discover a new power. You know, that's one thing that always kind of fascinated me. When they would make it so that Clark was ready to rock and roll, and then bam, super hearing, you know, super speed, um, you know, the ice breath, which he hardly ever used. Uh, again, I think I said super hearing already, but you know, he's got all these different powers and things that he was able to to discover. And of course, the X-ray vision and uh, the heat vision—it just always made it interesting, and kind of awkward, and kind of a high school drama-ish. But it really kind of brought the show to a new level, I thought.
0: Yeah, I thought the—if you pick any of the powers, I thought the funniest one was when he found the heat power through his eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I thought that. Oh, what about the, the X-ray that, though? Was, was that? Oh yeah, when he, when he found uh, when he looked at Lana.
1: Yeah, he looked at. I think he looked at all the girls in the locker room. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they, they at least they, they put some humor to it because you know if if he found his powers in all serious ways I thought that that, that would have taken away from Clark the you know the character of the actor um, but for them to find some humor in some of the powers that he found I thought that was a good twist too.
1: Yeah, I did too. He didn't really use you know his powers too often, which I never kind of understood. But you know, right. it, it kind of it kind of is what it is, sir. But you know, as far as the show goes, it just. They really nailed Clark spot on. Other than the fact that he wasn't, excuse me, he wasn't the uh, bumbling, stumbling, fumbling guy up until the very, very end when he tried to kind of fix that, right that ship. I thought they really nailed Clark perfectly, and this to me is the definitive Clark Kent. It's the definitive version. You know, Tom Welling will be Clark Kent. Christopher Reeve, unfortunately, passed away, was great at his role, but I mean, Tom did it so well for so long, and I just don't see anybody comparing to him. I mean, definitely not Dean Cain and, you know, nobody else, but, I mean, Tom Welling is, I don't know what he's going to do for the rest of his life, but he's always going to be known as uh, Mr. Clark Kent, and he pulls off the role, the role so well, but, I mean, at this point in his life, he's obviously he wants to move on and, and not stay stuck doing the same thing, yeah?
0: Yeah, I hear that, and, um, you know, I, that's why, I, uh, before I knew that he was actually kind of tired of being Clark Kent, I thought that it was an injustice that uh, some British actor was going to be playing the next Superman, in the next movie, I always thought that Tom Welling should get that opportunity, or if anything, like we've talked about, even when we talked about on Tuesday, the perfect way for us, we believe, to end a series like that is to make a movie on the big screen and have all these actors play it out in a big movie, and hopefully, you know, they make their good money, they get their their nice little cut. But um, for Tom Welling, um, you know, if he if he wanted to be Superman and he didn't get that chance, then I feel bad for him, but I now I realize that after watching some interviews on the net. He really needs a break from being, you know, Clark Kent.
1: Yeah, I just I don't think that there's any, <coughs> excuse me, I don't think there's any way around it. Doing the, the character for ten years, he's always going to be. He could be fifty eight years old, and he's always going to be known as Clark Kent. I mean, like look at John Schneider; he was known as I uh, was a bro from Dukes of Hazard, and now look, like, he's able to kind of transition much later in life <coughs> to be John Kent. <coughs> but the fact is that roles define you; they define who you are, and he's always going to be known as. No matter what he makes a fog or two, or he makes it cheaper by the dozen, part seven, he's always going to be Clark Kent, and I'm sure he's ready to move on, you know. And and in the words of in the words of, uh, <clears throat> in the words of uh, Chris Russo, you know, uh, enough's enough. I mean, there's just no there's no way around it, sir. Yeah, and um, if
0: Hollywood has if Hollywood has proved anything the last couple years is that um, nothing is guaranteed. So who's to say in three to four years from now when we're on the fourth reboot of Superman series, that they try to convince the entire cast, you know, for money, because it's usually about money and about, you know, selling things. Who's to say in about four years after the fourth reboot of Superman that Tom Welling doesn't, you know, get uh, re- reinvigorated and, re you know, excited about being Clark Kennigan and they do make a movie on the big screen?
1: Yeah, I would love to see that. Of course, Henry Cavill, whatever his name is, is going to be the new uh, Clark Kent, the new Superman. I thought Brandon Routh did a good job, but again, you know, Tom is Superman. Um, I think the whole idea behind it was the fact that the producers didn't want to confuse the fans because, of course, we as fans are idiots and morons and losers and have no clue what the hell is going on. And we can't distinguish between one Superman versus another Superman versus three other Supermans versus five other Supermans. I mean, it's just absolutely stupid, sir. It's stupid what they did, but you know what? If they if they did what needed to be done, which they did, you know, in terms of the show, uh, you know, he should have been Superman on the big screen. I would have loved to see Tom Welling as Superman. You know, he really <clears throat> defines it. He's a man. Like I said, Ralph did a good job in, in a otherwise slop fest of a of a of a, a movie. I mean, what did you think about Superman Returns?
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see why they would have to reboot it again because. That was just horrible, and the fact that it takes place in between what did it really <laughs> take place? In in between the se- the second and the third movie of the original movies.
1: Yes, so it basically uh, erased the third movie.
0: Right, they erased the third movie, which by the way, the third movie does give me nightmares. That's the only movie as a kid that gave <laughs> me nightmares. Uh, actually, the not fourth one. Four? The fourth one gave me nightmares too, but not as much as the third one. When there's an evil. Superman versus a good Clark Kent man. I remember getting nightmares for a long time after watching that movie. That one actually scared me. I mean, Nuclear Man scared me, but not as much as Part Three. But uh, for them to reboot uh, Superman Returns in between two and four was just a bad idea, right, right then and there. I mean, uh, if you're going to do a reboot, let's let's start back from the origins again, and just like they did with Batman Begins.
1: Yeah, you're right, sir. But Batman Begins got it so perfect and so spot on and so accurate that there's just you know no way fans are buts about that sir. But um, any final thoughts with uh, with uh, Clark uh, as we move on from this sir? As we, you know we're, we're closing out the show. No, I just
0: think that you know Clark was definitely my favorite character on Smallville, obviously because he is Superman. Um, I know you your favorite might have been Pete for.
1: No no. Uh, no. no, 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 it was Clark, Clark, uh, and then, of course, Jonathan, one of, my, one of my favorite characters, Sir Pete, was just, you know, number three,
0: right. number four but, after
1: uh, Lois.
0: <laughs> but like you said, the only thing I didn't get is that he never was able to find any trust throughout the ten years, and the fact that um, I've always known Clark Kent as being, as you know, when he works on the Daily Planet as a bumbling idiot, and for him to only put on a pair of glasses to hide his identity the last two seasons was just kind of weird for me that he was like this guy that was, you know, this this easy kind of cool, cool kind of guy, and all of a sudden the last two years he's a bumbling idiot. But then they flash forward seven years later, and then, you know, it's believable that he can be that bumbling idiot. So I just didn't understand why they didn't do that from the get-go.
1: I, I agree with that, sir. But, you know, we could talk about this all day, but let, let's move on for now. You know, we'll do more of a small retrospective and, We'll get into the seasons and we'll get into the characters. Next week, I believe we need to tackle the one and only Lex Luthor, sir.
0: Yes, we do. I mean, Michael Rosenbaum, the Lex Luthor of the ages. Or Lex Luger. Or that.
1: Sir, I'd like to get into a nugget. An important nugget, I think. One of my patented DG McNuggets, if you get where I'm going. Sir, I I need you to explain that to me. How in the world... JB, Joe Bicino, Just Business. Is it possible that Don Gorski from Fondue, Wisconsin, just ate his 25,000th Big Mac? I was about the say 25,000th, but of course I'd be wrong. Joe, 25,000 Big Macs. How the hell do you eat that many Big Macs? If you put hundreds of people, line them up in a row, nobody combined wouldn't have eaten that many Big Macs. Joe, I mean, all right, maybe, maybe this guy like likes Big Macs, obviously, and, of course, with me, it's a little bit different.
2: I like turtles.
1: But the <laughs> fact of the matter is, Big Macs, I love the Big Mac. The Big Mac is a great sandwich. I mean, I wish I had a Big Mac right now. My wife wouldn't let me because I'm on a diet. But aside from that, the doctors gave him a clean bill of health, which, of course, baffles me. But, sir, how sick is this? He's only got nine days, eight, 39 years to the date he had his 25,000 Big Mac. He's only got eight days in his life since then in the last 39 years without a Big Mac Joe. The first day, May 17th, 1972, he ate nine flipping Big Macs. <laughs> nine.
0: I don't know how the digestive system is able to take nine at once anyway because usually fast food goes right through me like water. I mean, I, I can't explain how this guy ate nine. And then to explain he, how he ate 25,000 in his lifetime, his cholesterol is only, what, 165? I think he said or 156. That's ridiculous. And the guy doesn't even weigh like, I mean, he looks like he weighs like, you know, you and me. He doesn't weigh 800 pounds. He ate 25,000 Big Macs, and the guy looks like a normal human being. It, I mean, I don't I don't know what to make of it other than the fact that, you know, it's just a weird story. And it's an interesting story. I mean twenty five thousand. I don't think I've eaten twenty five thousand of anything in my life. If anything, I tried to think of something that I might have eaten twenty five thousand of. And um I'm a big sucker for the chewy chips ahoy. And I've probably eaten twenty five thousand of those, but you know, I think if you combine
1: of- I think if you combine like individual French fries, maybe <laughs> I've eaten like a thousand of those. But aside right. from that I mean that that's sick. That is absolutely sick. You know, I was watching to show the other day with my wife. I forget what it's called. <clears throat> it was on, I don't know, some one of those Lifetime channels or something. And it's about a woman who weighed a thousand pounds, and somebody who weighed six hundred pounds, <clears throat> and this guy weighs like a hundred and something pounds. He, I mean, he looks like he's stuck in the seventies. But Joe, nine Big Macs in one day. He usually goes two a day. But I'm absolutely, I'm just amazed by. It. I mean, I, like I said, I love Big Macs. I think they're great. But for the rest of my life, if I eat ten, it'll be a lot. You know, if I've eaten 100 in my life, I'd probably eat more like 50. You know, I don't even eat fast food at, at all anymore, but, I mean, come on, Joe. Twenty? How do you eat 25000 of anything? I mean, my wife was saying she was an, a nurse. She was saying his body probably, just probably got used to it, but there's, there should be no way. I mean, maybe he's from Krypton, sir. You think Is that possible? Is, is he Jarrell?
0: It's possible. I mean, the guy does live in the 70s, though. I saw the way he had those sideburns and the clothes he was wearing. My question to you is d g how do you keep track that he was about to eat twenty five thousand though i don't I don't understand that
1: Well, I, well he's um i guess he's uh had a compulsive addiction what do you call that um man there's a there's a word for it, but I can't remember what it is uh it's like o c d you know obsessive compulsive disorder he kept all of his receipts and he even kept different boxes of the big macs that he ate over the years sir
0: that is you know that's a great nugget literally a great nugget because the guy ate a big mac for twenty five thousand but just to think about the fact that only nine days he went. I'd like to know what nine days they were, actually, because if he's as old as he is, <laughs> which makes sense, um, he would have <laughs> yeah. eaten some Big Macs on holidays. And I can't see myself eating a Big Mac on Christmas. I can't see myself eating a Big Mac on Thanksgiving. This guy is just weird. I mean, who's to say well, he's not going to finish with, you know, 30000
1: Joe, well, i will probably be dead by then, but, I mean, whoever would have gotten 25000 I actually read that um, the last holiday that he went without a Big Mac was Thanksgiving of 2000. So it's been 11 years since he skipped uh, a holiday, and that's sick. I, I mean, I love turkey. You know, I I can't imagine.
2: Oh, uh, is that all?
1: Is that all? I cannot imagine going to Thanksgiving and eating a Big Mac. I mean, you know, actually, as a matter of fact, maybe I could because, and this is this is a sad story, but. When well, my grandmother died five years ago, she actually died right before Thanksgiving. So that year, we didn't have a regular Thanksgiving dinner. You know, we we were eating Subway. We were, you know, we were at the funeral home the entire day. So we were eating fast food. We were eating garbage. But, I mean, maybe that's the one exception to the rule where I could have imagined myself eating a Big Mac. But aside from that, I cannot imagine eating that as a meal on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or even uh, – Hanukkah or, you know, Rosh Hashanah or any other major holiday. I just can't imagine it. You know, and this guy, I mean, I love love Five Guys, sir. could you imagine eating 25,000 Five Guys burgers?
0: No, you'd definitely be dead after probably the first 30.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think think you would be. You know, speaking of which, I'm going to have a Five Guys on my birthday. Because even though I'm on a diet, my wife has allowed me to go crazy on my birthday. So, of course, I'll be going to Uno's for lunch. No, I'm sorry. I'll be going to... Five guys for lunch, unos for dinner with pizza, maybe have two pies. I'm not sure. I'm going to live it up, sir. June 11th, 2011, that's going to be my judgment day because that is going to be the greatest day in the history of my life. All
0: right. Well, let's do it up June 11th.
1: (laughs) Of course, you know, you, and of course I'll be celebrating our 50th episode, which we are almost on the verge on, and uh, moving forward, that'll, that'll actually be the day after we make six months on this show, sir. And you know, I was thinking uh, on a little bit of a side note, you know me with my side notes. um, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant on February 10th, two months to the date after our other child, Pure Gold, was born. So basically, um, my, this show is about a month older than my uh, unborn child, so I thought that was kind of an interesting note. I mean, considering it happened on the day oh, we found that on the day up, sir.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what what can you say to that? I mean pure gold <laughs> is always gonna be pure gold is always gonna be a month older than your child is what you're basically saying.
1: <laughs> basically, so when he's like fifteen and you know, uh he will be a co host of pure because, of course you'll be gone by then. Um uh, you'll oh, okay. be off doing who knows what with uh with who knows who. But um I know, I, I, I just thought it was interesting, sir. But sir, uh, you have any nuggets, of, you know, before we close out this uh, great show?
0: Well, I did an intro with, you know, mentioning that Oprah Winfrey um, did just finished up her final show uh, yesterday, filming it uh, in where the Chicago Bulls play at the Pavilion. So I thought it was interesting that she—I uh, mean, think about this longevity for a, a talk show to go 25 years, and Oprah Winfrey has been pretty much uh, the talk show of all talk shows. And for her to finally give it up, I think we should pay some homage to her because she is a fellow colleague of ours. Wish her the best of luck, and uh, it's amazing that you know that a show like that could last 25 years, and here's hoping that Pure Gold lasts about 25 years.
1: Well, I don't. I, by that point, how many Big Macs do you think we will, we will have eaten, sir? <laughs>
0: uh, Five thousand. I don't
1: know. You know, it's interesting. On another side note. The town, you know, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, who cares about Oprah? The town that this guy is from is actually a town that my wife and I were looking into because my brother lives in Wisconsin. Um, even though he tells me never to say that on the air, but of course I like to irk him a little bit. Uh, he lives in Wisconsin, and you know, right now he's currently staying right next to Fond du Lac, which is interesting. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I make fun of my uh, my wife's my wife's my niece's mother all the time. You know, Wisconsin and all the stuff to eat over there, and the the famous days, and of course now we have Don Gorski from Wisconsin. But you know. You're right, Sir. Oprah's had a great career. She's had a great run. I mean, she needs a stunner, a super kick, uh, some sweet shit music. But aside from that, I mean, if we can do 25 years, that'd be great. We'd be like the next uh, Regis and uh, and, uh, whomever, Kelly, Kathy, whatever. Regis has done that show for about 25 years. So at that point, sir, I would be 55, and you would be what, like 58,
0: 59? Something like that, yep.
1: And you'd be an old, washed-up sea hag. But, sir, let me ask you a question. You know, we are waiting for Hans. I don't know what happened to him. I guess he must have, uh, you know, gotten stuck on the L train, the 4 train, the 7 train. Who knows what. But I'd like to get into, real quickly, if I could, sir, I'd like to get into Thor. You know, I, was, I saw Thor last week, and Thor is a great movie. But as a matter of fact, you know what? I'm going to save Thor because I really want Hans' take on this. I actually have a sound bite that I want Fitz to play, but i got to wait till Hans is on with us <coughs> next week. I saw the the movie last night, sir, The Beaver, you, uh, with Mel Gibson, have you heard of it?
0: I have not heard of it, what's that about?
1: It is about a man named Walter Black, and he's depressed, hopelessly depressed, tries to kill himself, and he finds a beaver hand puppet in the garbage, and it's just, Mel Gibson gave such an amazing performance in this movie, and I know that you know we all have our opinions on Mel, I've always thought he was a great actor, just amazing, but... And that, you know this movie's so it's it's twisted, but he does such a great role, such amazing job, Jody I mean, just the actors did great, and I mean, hopefully it, it'll help Mel rebound his career. And again, I'm a big fan of his work. You know, he said some crazy things, but of course, you know what I find interesting about society, sir. And I mean, segue into this. I don't know if you remember back in the early '90s, Mike Tyson was accused of rape. Do you remember that, sir? He was convicted of rape, went to jail. Yeah, with
2: Rob- yeah, Robin Givens. Yep.
1: Yeah, exactly, and you know what he he did that he did whatever but the fact is actually i think it was another woman who accused him of or he was actually convicted of rape i don't think it was robin gibbons but i could be wrong but aside from that um... the fact of the matter is society forgives i mean people do crazy sloppy messed up things and then eventually people get over it i mean everybody's still hot on uh... on not Gibson what he did now you know charlie sheen when he's going through everything in his life and there's a, there's a line in the movie. I think he's talking to John Stewart or maybe Matt Lauer in the movie. But he's giving an interview you know, with the puppet because in the movie, the puppet, it's a different voice. It's like a crazy British voice that he does. And he talks about how everybody... Likes watching a train wreck as long as it's not them, and that pretty much encapsulates Charlie Sheen, and it encapsulates what Mel Gibson's life has been. Unfortunately, and I hope he can get off the off that and you know able to rectify himself and you know fix whatever is left of his life. Because in the movie, that's kind of what the movie's about. It takes some twists and turns that you wouldn't expect, so it's not the expected. um... <laughs> obviously, it's not exactly what you would think a movie like that would be. You know, the ending or whatever, or the way things happen. But it was just a powerful movie, and I really, you know, if you obviously not watching it for little kids, but you know, I recommend it if you can watch it. And I don't want to give away too much, sir. But uh, you know, let me just say that as we end the show, sir.
0: Yes, sir. I mean, uh, you know, we we do talk about different actors, and you know, Mel Gibson hopefully rebounds his his uh, his life and his uh, his professional career. But let's not forget that he also directed The Passion of the Christ, which I thought was the best portrayal of Jesus Christ, of all the movies that's ever been made about Jesus Christ.
1: I agree. It was an amazing film, and Mel did an amazing job. But it seems like his his life, not only his career, but his life went spiraling out of control right after that. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know, having the child out of wedlock and then getting married and then having those crazy drunken texts and getting arrested and blaming Jewish people for whatever, which I thought was interesting because – John Stewart, who is Jewish, was in the movie. So I'm like, man, if John Stewart forgave him, I mean, you know, who knows, maybe uh, some of the other Jewish community will be able to forgive him. So were you going to say something?
0: Yeah, I mean, you just brought it up. I had it as a nugget, and I just totally forgot about it just now. Why don't we just comment on the fact that uh, one of uh, another, like, Hollywood couple, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is now getting divorced because he has a uh, a 10-year-old son with someone else, the housemaid, that was, you know, in the house and now he's now putting all his movie stuff on hold where we thought we'd see a next terminator movie with him he is now his life is in shambles what about that disaster i'm
1: sure we will see a next terminator but the truth is it's a shame you know i was happy for arnold hoping that him and his wife could make it last you know 25 years that's a long speaking of 25 years that seems to be the theme but Arnold yep. was able to, you know, last for 25 years with his wife. But, unfortunately, I mean, I, I don't mean to be insulting towards his woman, but, man, she is not an attractive woman. His wife, I don't know what he was thinking when when he messed uh, that up. But, you know what, Arnold, unfortunately, has to pay the price, and his his life is going to take a hit and his uh, reputation. But, of course, he'll be able to rebound from it eventually if he's, you know, strong enough and able to overcome it and, you know, hopefully get his life right with uh, the big guy upstairs. But, JB, as we close out this show, you know, we'll really yes, talk sir. about Arnold next week. But we'd like to thank everybody who joined us today. We'd like to thank Angel from Woodland Park, Dominic from Hicksville. I'd like to thank Fitz, our producer, Kelly, our board op, and, of course, the rest of you loyal listeners out there. And, of course, Tom Walling for a great performance in this mobile finale. Yes. Once again, folks, the one and only. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you...
2: I like turtles.
1: To always keep it... T. G. Good night, everyone.